0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. There you are. My name is Matt. If you're new here to Mission View Church, welcome. So glad you've joined us for worship this morning. Uh, we are in a new sermon series called We Believe. We started last week. We talked about the Bible and what we believe about the Bible. If you missed that, you can check it out online and get caught up. And um, we're going through uh, if you go to our website, on the front of our website, um, you can go to About Us and there's a Beliefs section and you click on that. It kind of goes through our core beliefs as a church. Uh, but what we're doing is we're just taking a sermon series and going through those core beliefs and talking through them so that you guys can kind of um, get a, wrap your minds around it a little bit. So last week was the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. This week is the Trinity. So um, he, how many people here have actually heard the word Trinity before? All right. Yeah, awesome. If you haven't, uh, Trinity is actually not found in the Bible. The word's not found in the Bible. It is a, a word that a man created to kind of convey how God describes himself, that, that God is three in one, that it is one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is one God, though, and and uh, this is a mystery to us. So uh, it is it's something we can't fully wrap our minds around. There's, and there's certain things about Christianity that are supernatural. There's, there's certain things about our faith that, that requires faith. Uh, that, that God is supernatural, divine, creator, has always existed outside of time and, and created all things is, is a mystery to us. How it all happened, the timing in which all of it happened, all these things. There's, there's mystery behind so much of who God is. And here's what I found is I've been studying and, well, actually, just my, my whole Christian journey has been a journey of the more I learn, the more I grow in my understanding of God, the more I realize I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way about something? The more I discover about God reveals so much more for me to discover. You know, I, I liken it to kind of going to the ocean. I love going to the ocean in the sun. We're going to the beach, sitting on the sand, you know, taking in the sun. And the ocean is just so beautiful. The smell, the sound, it just puts me to sleep on the beach so that I get a great sunburn. It's just wonderful. But anyways, I, I love the ocean, but it's, it's kind of like we go to the ocean, and it, it was, you go in, and, and you're like, wow, this water is really nice, but you get a taste of it, and it's salty, and, and you, you, you see the waves crash, and you kind of understand that it's coming in, and there's tides and these different things, and, and you learn about the ocean, and, and then you go to research it, and you're like, well, wait a second. I mean, there's all kinds of animals in there. There's all this other stuff. And, and most of it hasn't even been seen or, or researched or understood at all. And, I mean, God is much greater than the oceans. But we haven't even, you know, discovered most of our oceans today. That's, that's really, as we're diving into this today, um, I'm just going to ask you for grace as we go through this. Because the Trinity is... Um, a core belief of our church, but it's something we will not fully understand until we see him face to face. So what I'll be describing to you is a mystery, and we hold it that way. I kind of said it last week that um, if if we knew everything that there is to know about God, what kind of God would he be? The very idea of this divine being are one in three, three in one God, is a mystery to us and it's something we should hold in that way. So uh, these are spine issues. You hear me talk about spine issues and rib issues. There's things in our Christian beliefs that we would say are rib issues. These are things that great theologians over the centuries have debated and talked about and worked through and disagree on. Uh, These are issues that would not determine whether you're a Christian or not or uh, what they would say is orthodox or original beliefs in Christianity. So we have rib issues that you know uh, churches we partner with that disagree slightly slightly with us in interpretation um, are just rib issues. But then there's spine issues that. Really, Christianity is built on, that we hold with, a, I say, a closed fist, and and we don't negotiate, we don't debate those things, and everything we're going to be talking about through this series are spine issues, and the Trinity is one of those things, that God is triune, or He is Trinity. Three, perfectly unified, but is one God. A lot of people struggle with this. And it's understandably so because it is a mystery. So if you ever have a chance to talk to a Muslim friend, and hopefully you do, um, they, this is one of the sticking points for them. They, they think that Christianity is polytheistic or many gods because of this doctrine of the Trinity. But we can tell them, no, this is one of the great mysteries of a divine God that he exists three in one. He is one God. We are monotheistic. We serve one God. So this is going to be fun. I'm really excited about this. And um, I hurt my neck this past week. So left side, I'm sorry if I don't turn to you as often. Right side, you're going to get the best of the sermon today, okay? I blame it on the water skiing, okay? Let's pray before we jump into this because we need God's guidance for sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we open it today and as we seek to grow in our understanding of you, right now we submit to your authority, the authority of your word. What you say about yourself stands firm. We submit to that, Father. God, oh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truths of Scripture to us right now. That we would walk out of here with a better understanding, a deeper understanding, and a deeper appreciation for what we don't understand about who you are, about how you love us, and about how you want to interact with us, and care for us, and reveal who you are. So God, we pray for for a a fresh revelation of your, your foundational and eternal word. Come and open our eyes, Father, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Right, Trinity means triune or three in one or triunity. We can define the doctrine of the Trinity like this. You might want to write this little definition down. It it should pop up on the screens. It might not because um, I don't know if I got this in there in time. But God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. That's our definition for the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is progressively revealed in Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, miraculously cohesive about the Trinity. Now think about this for a second. We talked a little bit about the Bible last week and how miraculous it is, but here as we look into the doctrine of the Trinity, we see this miraculous supernatural work of the Trinity being shown to us in Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation. There's this cohesive, um, uh, just togetherness on the doctrine of the Trinity throughout every book of the Bible. It's not just in the New Testament. It's not just in the Old Testament. It's not just about what Paul writes. It's not just about what Peter writes. It's not just about what Jesus said. It's not just about what Moses writes, but all of these books, think about this, all of these books written over 1,600 years by 44 different authors line up perfectly on the Trinity. Uh, That's just just mind-blowing for me that over 1,600 years, these different authors are going to line up on such a difficult doctrine, Uh, that that in and of itself is a testament, is is a truth about Scripture that the Bible is unlike any other book. Last last week we said that the Bible is God-breathed, that men's hands may have pinned it, but God, by His Spirit, breathed those words out onto the page through these men. God has His hand in that. So sometimes people think that the doctrine of the Trinity is only found in the New Testament, not the old. God has eternally existed as three persons, and we see it in the Genesis account of creation. For instance, Genesis 126, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in perfect unity and working out different functions or roles, and we're going to look into those today. We see these different functions or roles in the work of creation. We'll kind of look at these roles in two different um, pictures in the Bible. One is creation, and one is redemption. This first one we'll talk about is the account of creation. We see the different roles in the work of creation. God the Father spoke the creative words to bring the universe into being. But it was God the Son The eternal word of God who carried out these creative decrees. It says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's in John 1, 3, in reference to Jesus. Moreover, in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him we see this all throughout Scripture. Just a couple references here for you. Colossians 1.16, Psalms 33.6 and verse 9, 1 Corinthians 8.6, and Hebrews 1.2. I'll put my manuscript up online so you guys can grab some of these references because I'm going to blaze through these things this morning. Now, the Holy Spirit was active in creation as well in a different way. It says that he was moving or hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis 1-2, apparently sustaining and manifesting God's immediate presence in his creation. And that's what we see that in Psalms 139-7 and also that earlier reference in Psalms 33-6. Now, That's the creation account in a trinity representation there. Now let's look at the work of redemption, the work of his redeeming us. There's also distinct functions. God the Father planned redemption and sent his Son into the world. The Son obeyed the Father and accomplished redemption for us. Now it's especially the role of the Holy Spirit to give us regeneration or new spiritual life. He sanctifies us. He empowers us for service. So kind of in general, the work of the Holy Spirit seems to to be to bring to completion the work that has been planned by God the Father begun by God the Son. This is, I, I, I love this picture of unity. I love that we can see submission of the son to the father, that God so loved us, God the father so loved us that he sent his son, that love is an action that we take, the obedience of the son leaving heaven, coming to earth. We're going to get into this really deeply today. And the Holy Spirit coming as Jesus ascended and sent the spirit to live in us. Just an amazing picture of what what real unity looks like. In our original doctrinal statement online, if you were to get on there right now on our website, this is what our our website says on our doctrinal beliefs about the Trinity. There is one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's three Scripture references under there that we use that point to the Trinity in Scripture. Here's the three references I'll read for you today. In Matthew 28, 19, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's talking about baptism. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One time, though, Showing that Trinity, if we have any brethren friends out there, it's not three times forward for us. That's okay. It's okay, you can do that. The brethren can do that. But at Mission View Church, we baptize one time in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, joining in Christ right there. It's just a beautiful picture. In Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And first Peter one two. God's word says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. All right. So here's how we're going to break it down. We're going to talk a little bit. I'm just going to give you your fill ins right now. You can write these in your notes in the program you got as you came in. Uh, the the fill ins are this God the Father. That's the first one. Can anybody guess the second one? God the Son. Anybody guess the third one? God the Holy Spirit. Man, it doesn't get any easier than that, right? But here's a couple of things I want you to write down under each of those fill-ins. The first one is, under God the Father, write God the Father loves and God the Father sins. Under God the Son, write these two phrases, Jesus loves, And Jesus came. And the third one, right? The Spirit is love, and the Spirit lives in us. God the Father planned redemption and sent his Son into the world. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son for you and me. I want us to take a moment and try and wrap our minds around this simple statement, this John 3:16 verse that we see at every baseball game, every football game and anywhere you go, this idea that God would send a part of the Trinity the three-in-one, would ask him to leave heaven, to leave the paradise that, that all of us are longing to enter into. This promise of eternity with God, this, this, this connection and freedom that we find in God, God the Father so loved you that he sent his only son to leave heaven, to come to this earth, put on flesh, live life, live a life. 33 years, Jesus walked the earth. Well, he may have crawled a little bit, and then he walked a little bit. Jesus was on earth, living the perfect life that you and I can't live. Man, as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made, as we think about the sacrifice that the Father made, that the Son would go and be truly God and truly man, here in our midst, God loves us so much that He would send His Son, that He would plan redemption for us. God knew that In his perfection, he demands perfection. And in that that perfection, he knew that humanity couldn't live up to his standard of righteousness, of true and perfect righteousness, that that someone would have to come and bridge the gap that was created by sin that hit and hindered and destroyed the world. And the only one who could do it is God. God. God the Son. And God loves us enough to give us his word. Not only did he, he send his son Jesus, not only did he send Jesus out of heaven, he put on flesh, lived a human life, but then he, he gives us an amazing historical account of the preservation of the bloodline of Christ from creation until Jesus came to the planet. God had this great plan of redemption, and he doesn't keep it a secret. He tells us the whole story about Adam and Eve in the garden, how it was beautiful and right, and he created all the animals and everything that we see, and, and Adam and Eve were together. It was just beautiful, and then, then sin entered the world. The one thing they weren't supposed to do, they did They sinned, sin entered the world, death entered the world, and God tells us this plan. He's going to send a redeemer. He's going to send one who could could make all the wrong things right, who could live up to that righteous standard. He's going to send him through a certain bloodline. He, He chose a people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. He called them. And made a covenant with them. He would be their God. They would be his people. And, and he gave them laws that would be the best things for them. You see, all of this, this plan and this redemptive plan, he chose this people to preserve a bloodline. That Jesus would be born of David's bloodline. And he protected and preserved this people for thousands of years. God's plan of redemption points us to the love that he has for you and me. We can look back and, and see the life of the Israelites. And I don't know about you, but as I read the Old Testament, I see the Israelites live their lives and, and they see this interaction with God and God lays these things out for them. He's like, here's the best things for you. Do these things and, you know, and everything's going to be fine. And they turn their backs on God over and over and over again and you know, it's just we—it's just this amazing picture of failure after failure after failure. And I, I read that, and I just get frustrated, right? You're like, God loves them so much that it, look what look what He's doing for them. He He's protected them and He's He's guided them. And God's not enough, so they want kings, and so they put a you know human kings. We just talked about one of the kings that messed everything up and. God wasn't enough, so they wanted kings. They wanted prophets. They wanted all these other things. They wanted everything but God, it seemed like. And we look at that kind of, that kind of interaction. We're like, we get, I get frustrated and look at it. But what we see in that is, is we see ourselves too. We see our failures, and we see our wanting other things other than God. But God is faithful because he loves us. He was faithful to the the Israelites over and over and over again, and he's faithful to us over and over again. He preserved this bloodline. Jesus came through the bloodline that God preserved, God the Father preserved. God loved us enough to preserve his word, to preserve his promise and his covenant that he made over the centuries, over the centuries. And God loves us so much that he reveals himself to us through his creation. I love the um, like the Hubble telescope stuff. Have you guys ever been on like NASA's site and seen like the galaxies, the, the Milky Way? And uh, a pastor friend of mine, he's a, a photographer. He just went up to Alaska and he was up there to do photography, and he took all these amazing pictures of like the northern lights and different things. And he throws them up on his Facebook page, and I just sit there and look at them, and they're like really high definition, and they're just amazing. It's unbelievable. I mean, as as we look into the skies, the stars, the Milky Way, the comets, the meteor showers, the universe, the galaxies that go on and on and on, and then so much of space just waiting to be discovered to reveal to us the greatness and majesty of a creator. We are a speck in the universe, and even smaller in comparison to all of the heavens. Get this, gravity holds us to a rock Spiraling around a giant ball of fire that warms us and doesn't burn us up. And then we have a moon at night that brings light in the night sky. And that burning rock brings light to us in the day. In some strange, crazy, dare I say, miraculous way, Earth supports life. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. This ball of rock, the Earth rotates once every 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4.09053 seconds. It's called the sidereal period, and its circumference is roughly 40,075 kilometers. Thus, the surface of the Earth at the equator moves at a speed of 460 meters per second. Anybody want to give a guess at miles per hour? 1,000 miles per hour. And we're walking on it. We stay stuck to it for some crazy reason. Just some accident, you know. Just some accident. No. All of creation, all of creation reveals a creator God. It reveals our God. Then we have the mountains and the cave systems all around the planet that's still waiting to be explored. They contain life and animals and insects that are yet to be discovered. Bigfoot, maybe? Anybody? Loch Ness monster in the oceans? I'm just saying, it could be out there. God the Father loves us so much that he sends. Sends. God the Father sends his son to come and fix what we broke. The father is perfect, perfect, perfect in righteousness. This means that when injustice is done, it must be made right. And the only one able to make injustice right is a perfect and righteous God. The only one who knows the true cost of sin, the only one who knows the true cost of sin is God. We get a picture of it. We may feel the pain or some consequence, but the full measure and weight of sin is only ultimately realized by God. Therefore, He is the only one who can bring ultimate justice. He is the only one who can make all the wrong things right. And that's what He promises to do in His Word. You see, We have to get a bigger picture of who God is. We have to admit that there is so much we don't understand because God is so great and so vast and so far beyond human comprehension. So oftentimes our theology falls apart because we think we can actually wrap our minds around it. Now, I'm saying that, and I think that we can wrap our minds around what Scripture reveals to us. And we should study. We should study theology, the study of God. We should study Him and learn about Him. But once we get to a point where we go to the ocean shores and we smell the the salt water, we taste the salt water, and walk away from the ocean saying, well, now I know everything there is to know about the ocean. I'm an ocean expert. Ask me anything. That's when we get into trouble, and we do the same thing in our theology. Hey, I, I, I read the Bible in a year. I, I really know everything now. Ask me anything. Right? Or, or we, we've, we've done every Bible study. We've read every book. We went through seminary. We've done all these things. And now, you know, I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm not bragging or anything, but I'm, I'm something of a theologian, you know? No, there there are things we can wrap our minds around, but let me just tell you when it comes to knowing God, we need to be careful. Because you can never, ever, this is so good, guys. You can never, ever expose, exposit, understand fully everything there is to know in Scripture. This is really good. Because you know what that means? You can study God's word all your life. Every day, if you studied his word 24-7 for all your life, you would still learn new things every day of your life. His word is full of goodness and revelation about who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do. It's the past, the present, and the future. It's all revealed in Scripture. God shows us what he's going to do, how he interacts with us, what his plan is. It's all right there at our fingertips. And you can never, ever just pull everything there is to know out about him. It is endless. It's full of amazing revelation, life-changing awesomeness about who he is and what he's done. We know that God the Father has wrath be- towards sin because sin is a direct offense towards him because he is pure righteousness. He has never sinned. He's never thought about sin or sinning. God is perfect righteousness. And there's no analogy I can bring to you for this. uh, The closest I can come to would be like, you know, parents, all the parents out there, if you have little kids, I mean, they're just sweet, right? Most of the time. Sometimes they're vipers and diapers. I get it. But most of the time, they're just so sweet. They smell so nice. You want to kiss them on the forehead, right? They're just wonderful. And they don't, I mean, they don't know wrong from right. That's why we're parents and we have to parent. We have to teach them wrong from Right. all this other stuff, and and they're innocent, right? They don't know what goes on in the world for the most part. They're just this, they have this innocence about them. You would never take your three or four-year-old to the worst R-rated horror movie that Rob Zombie puts out, would you? They would be scarred for life. They've, they, they've never thought about murder or, you know, grotesque horror things like R- Rob Zombie does on his movies. Disgusting. You would never take a three-year-old or four-year-old and show them that. They, you would, it would just destroy them. They'd nightmares for life, not just for a week, right? They don't, they don't have a gauge or grasp for that. It would, be, it would just be scar them. Scar them. God is perfect and pure, even more so than your three- or four-year-old. He knows no sin, thinks no sinful thoughts, and every sin that humanity commits is a direct offense towards a holy and perfect God. We get an amazing picture of this in Scripture in the life of King David, who... The Bible says, as a man after God's own heart, David sins with a woman named Bathsheba, commits adultery, gets her pregnant, calls her husband back from war and says, hey, you've been working really hard at war. Why don't you spend the night with your wife? He says, I'm I'm not going to spend the night with my wife when my men are out dying on the front lines. I'll stay here and guard you, my king. David's like, oh, that backfired sends him out to the front lines to die, has him killed, basically. So here we have an adulterer and a murderer. David gets caught in this sin. A prophet comes in and tells him a story about this horrific, terrible guy. And it's actually David, but David doesn't know that. He hears the story and he's thinking, oh man, tell me where this guy is. I'm going to kill him. It's over, this guy. And the prophet says, it's you, David. God has seen everything you've done. Here's, here's David's response, and here's how we know that sin is a direct offense against God. David, a man after God's own heart, in God's word of what he says, this is a godly response to sin. So if you're repenting or you're caught in sin, this is our response Father, against you and you alone have I sinned. He doesn't, he doesn't think of Bathsheba's husband. He doesn't think of Bathsheba. He doesn't think about betraying his throne and betraying his people and abusing that authority. God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Did David know that he sinned against Bathsheba? Absolutely. Did he know that he sinned against his people? Absolutely. Did he know that he sinned against her husband? Yes. But he understood That sin is first and foremost against a holy, righteous, and perfect, completely set-apart God. And when we wrap our minds around that, when God reveals that kind of, of depth of who he is, what he's like, I'll tell you, it makes the cross of Christ, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, so much sweeter if sin is that great an offense to God, it's amazing he hasn't just sapped us off the planet, but he loves us and he sent his only son. So the father poured out that wrath on his son because he was the only one who could bear it. So God The Son was sent by God the Father to make a way for us to be in right relationship with God the Father through God the Spirit living in us. Let's move on to that second point, God the Son. The Son obeyed the Father and accomplished redemption for us. And that first little thing I had to write under there is that Jesus loves. Jesus loves you that's good news, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, I'm not always lovable, right? But Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. And this love that Jesus has, now hear me on this, people. Hear me on this. The love that Jesus has is not dependent on your performance or your kindness it is not dependent on your life balancing out good and bad or the good outweighing the bad. It is not dependent on you. It is not a response to you. Jesus' love for you is fully realized and seen in the life and actions that Jesus did. Jesus loves, so Jesus came. He left heaven, put on flesh, he submitted to the Father's will. Get this. Before he was crucified, he was in the garden praying. And it was sweating blood as he knew the, the, the horrific death that he was about to, to have. And he's praying to the Father. He says, if there's any way, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it another way. But not my will, yours be done. And Jesus submitted to the Father's will. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted by the devil. Jesus wept. It's the shortest scripture in in all the Bible. Jesus wept. He suffered. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was challenged and harassed by the religious leaders and the Romans. He was questioned and he was mocked and Jesus died for me and you. This sets Christianity apart from any other religion. It is the only religion where God has set a standard, God has met that standard in Jesus, And God gives that standard freely to me and you and anyone who would put their trust and faith in the work and person of Jesus Christ. It is the only religion where our God came and walked in our shoes. He experienced all of the loss, all of the suffering, all of the temptation, everything that we go through, our lot in life. This is so reassuring because when you're going through a hard time, when life is tough and you go to God in prayer, you're not going to some little dude sitting on a cloud playing a harp who's totally disconnected from what we experience and what we're going through. You are praying to a God who suffered, who was betrayed by those closest to him beaten, lost a loved one. He cried. He wept when Lazarus, when he heard Lazarus had died. Did he know he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Absolutely. But he wept in the death of Lazarus. We serve a God who is acquainted with our grief. And what a great reassurance that is. Because when we go to him, in our grief, I believe he weeps beside us. He holds us. He sent his spirit to be a comforter for us. Well, not only did Jesus leave heaven, put on flesh, live a perfect life, Walked through all those things that I said. He was crucified and died. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death for you and me. So Jesus came and Jesus loves. But that's not all Jesus did. It says that before he ascended back into heaven, he told his disciples, he, he says, I have to go. Because it's, it's better that I go because I am sending my spirit. And it's, it's better for my spirit to be here than me to be here in the flesh and in person with you. That's a hard one for me to wrap my mind around. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, if I could see Jesus face to face and maybe go hit Tremont Coffee Shop, I would be all about that. Right? Let's go to Starbucks, have a couple cappuccinos, maybe seven, so I can keep up and all day and just talk to Jesus for a little bit. Right? Right? I think that's better. But God's word, Jesus knows what's better. God knows what's better for us. And Jesus said, it is better that I go and send my spirit to live in you. So we're living on this side of Jesus' coming, his ascension. He's in heaven. We live in a place where the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of every believer. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, get this, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. This is really, really good news. And that, Jesus said, this is better. This is better than me being here in the flesh. So the third point, God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is love. Now, I wrote this because God says he is love. God is love. So I could have said God is love. Jesus is love. The Holy Spirit is love. Because they are. That's how he describes himself. Just a side note, just put that in there. But the Spirit loves, and he reveals love, and the Spirit lives in us. And the Spirit's job, one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit, is to point us to Christ, to point us to the work that Jesus did. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, illuminates the Scriptures and brings understanding to us. The Bible teaches us that you can read God's Word You can study God's word. You can devote your life. You can become a professor of scripture and not have any understanding of it whatsoever. The only way possible for us to read scripture in a saving way, the only way possible for us to read the Bible and it actually change our lives and do the supernatural work that it says it does is for the Holy Spirit to actually reveal it to us or illuminate it to us and bring understanding and change to our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what God the Holy Spirit does in you. So when I stand up here and I talk about all this stuff, it it is all just bleh. Unless God the Holy Spirit starts to do a work inside of you. I and you and everyone watching online are 100% dependent on God the Holy Spirit doing something inside of us right now. And that's what we trust happens. I truly believe that God the Holy Spirit changes us as we open his word. And it's what I'm completely dependent on. Like Paul said, I don't bring you smooth words. I don't have all these great little sayings for you. You know, The wisdom of man is not what I bring you. Paul said, I don't bring you any of that stuff. I bring you Christ and him crucified, period. And that's what I bring, Christ and him crucified. So here we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of this theology and biblical truth about God existing in three and one. How does this truth affect us in how we live? I want to get real practical now, as we've talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So what? What does it mean for us in our lives every day? So I'm going to start this way. I'm going to ask you a quick question. You don't have to answer. Who's the most important part of the Trinity? Okay? Who's the most important part of the Trinity? Any God the Father people here? Team God the Father. Okay, team God the Father. Okay, team God the Son. Team Jesus, anybody? Jesus? Team Holy Spirit. Do we have any team Holy Spirit people here? Holy Spirit? No. They are all one. One is not more important than the other. One is not more valuable or respectable or more important than the other. They are one. Father, Son, and Spirit, God. Get this. We so often equate roles we fulfill with value or worth. Did you hear me on that? We as human beings tend to equate value or respectability or worth with the roles that we actually live out. But God in his trinity, his tri-unity models the beauty of true unity and submission The roles that they fulfill do not determine their value, worth, or importance. Get this. In God's kingdom, value, worth, and significance are not determined by the role God has given you. I don't think you heard me on that. I I thought there'd be a lot of amens. In God's kingdom, value, worth, and significance are not determined by the role that God has given you get this, in God's kingdom, we each find our worth value at the foot of the cross, not in what we do for him, but what he did for us. This is identity. This is who you are. And I am telling you right now that for your entire life, from the moment you were born until the moment you go to see Jesus, the world is going to try and tell you, you have a different identity. And it's going to say, find your value, find your worth, find your importance in what you do. Find your value, find your worth in in the role that that you're living out at home, at church, or wherever it may be. But God says, every one of us is infinitely valuable because he sent his son to die for us. And that's where we find identity and value. So roles in the family and church do not reflect a person's value or worth. In fact, the family points us to a beautiful representation of the Trinity. Husbands lovingly and self-sacrificially leading his wife as, as as Christ loved the church and died for her. The wife lovingly submitting to her husband as unto the Lord and the children honoring their father and mother. And let me just tell you, analogies fall short when we talk about the Trinity, so I know I'm going there, but it's, it's a mess. But we do, we get, a, we get this amazing picture of what true unity lived out could be if we just found our value and worth in Christ, not in what we're doing. Unity in diversity through subordination. The world looks at this subordination as a bad thing. Seriously. They think it's it's terrible. You can look it up. I looked it up. And it says, you know what the definition of subordination is? Inferiority. 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 Jesus submitting to the Father means he's inferior. No, not at all. They get it completely wrong. As if Jesus were inferior to the Father or the Spirit. How ridiculous is that? We need to throw away that type of thinking. And submit to one another out of love and obedience to Christ, and not find my value in what I'm doing for Jesus, not find my value in in what role I'm living out at home or at work or whatever it is. I find my value in who Christ says I am. I find my value in this that the very Creator God of the universe left heaven and died on a cross for me and you. And you know what that means? You have eternal value. That God loves you enough to die for you means that you have value beyond anything you could ever imagine. That's how much God loves you. So we have this triune God, this triunity God who models perfect unity perfect submission, subordination to one another. There's no inferiority between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one God. God exists in this community, this unified community. So what's that mean for us now? Well, we talked about identity a little bit, but let's talk about the church as we're sitting here in church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26, God's word says this. For just as the body is one... And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were to hear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Underline that if you're in 1 Corinthians 12. As he chose. The role that you've been given has been chosen by your creator. We always say here at Mission View Church, you're not here by happenstance. This is no accident that you have been brought here by God to Mission View Church. He has gifted you specifically for this body of believers, for his church, for his kingdom. He chose you. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head or to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, get this, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Look at this as we read through this. Do you see what God is saying about you and me? God God never asks us to do something that he is not going to empower us to do. And I'm telling you, God has gifted you for his kingdom and for your good. And as we look at the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, what we take away from it, this is the big takeaway. We live out that kind of unity with and for one another. Submitting to one another in love so that the world will look in and see something that they've never seen before. There's no one person that is less valuable in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what gift God's given you. He chose it for you. Your identity is in him. Your purpose, your worth, your value is found at the foot of the cross. And every single one of us are needed. If we're gonna do what God has called us to do as a church, all of us need to play our part. And everyone has a mission. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we've looked into how you exist three in one, we hold this mystery. We hold this tension of not fully knowing, but knowing partially. And in that that partial revelation that you've given us, we know that we are to live out our lives together in unity for you as you've modeled so beautifully for us in the Trinity. So Father, I just pray for everyone here right now, the gifts that you've given them, God, I pray that you would call them forth, that they would step out and live out their role, their part in your kingdom, God, that we wouldn't be worried about worth and value and the things that we do, but we would find our identity and our worth and our value in you, Father. Help us to be more like you, Father. Grow us and change us for your kingdom and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song this morning.